0: Welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, the podcast that looks into the future to work out how new technology could impact the insurance sector and the business world as we know it. This podcast is brought to you by Allianz Insurance and I'm your host Steph McGovern. Now we have already tackled subjects as diverse as AI, climate change and drone technology. So if you do get a chance, do go and listen to those episodes. Now, today we're going to be talking about smart industry. Now, you might be someone who's already using smart technology, whether it's watches, speakers, mobile phones, doorbells. You might even have one of those fridges uh, which orders things like milk in when you're about to run out. Uh, And it's tech like this being used on a much larger scale that's having a significant impact on industry. In fact, it's being dubbed Industry 4.0, representing the fourth revolution in manufacturing. So, to assess the impact of this on insurance. I'm delighted to say we're joined by Glenn Clark, who's head of transformational propositions at Allianz, Torsten Schroer, who's director for automotive and electronics industry for IBM in Germany, and a member of the industry academy within IBM, and Natasha Stern, who's partner at McKinsey and Company, working closely with Quantum Black, a McKinsey company focused on using data and analytics to improve performance. So welcome to all of you. Glenn, let me start with you then. What do we mean exactly by smart industry?
1: I guess smart industry refers to, as you've said, the kind of uses of sensors and internet connectivity and data and analytics to, uh, in an industrial sense, enable enhanced productivity, new kind of operational management capabilities, and the potential for kind of new products and services. I guess it's also captured, as you said before, in that phrase uh, Industry 4.0. So uh, Industry 4.0 is a bit of a broader term um, and I guess we're referring to the current age now as possibly the beginning of a fourth industrial revolution. So I guess if you think back and think of the first industrial revolution being about steam power and mechanisation and second industrial revolution being about harnessing electricity and assembly lines and mass production. And then the third industrial revolution really harnessing electronics uh, for kind of monitoring control, IT as we know it, automation and robotics. That's kind of the, the precedent uh, environment that we we find ourselves in when we're talking about the fourth industrial revolution. And so I guess the fourth industrial revolution is really... Talking about um, a a convergence of a number of uh, new emerging technologies, whether it be IoT, AI, uh, 5G, mobile computing, 3D printing, all sorts of different emerging technologies that are all coming together and raising the potential for increased productivity uh, at this time.
0: And that potential is something that people are trying to quantify as well. Natasha, I know McKinsey's done some research, haven't they, on the economic impact of this?
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, McKinsey Global Institute um, did some research and the estimate, it's a wide ranging estimate, uh, but a very large one, as you say, Steph, the estimate was between $4 trillion and $11 trillion by 2025. And that's the amount of economic impact that can be brought uh, to all of our lives uh, through smart industries or Industry 4.0.
0: Yeah, and and, and, I mean, apart from the obvious, what what are the examples that you have of of smart technology then? What are the things that have impressed you the most? Um, So uh, maybe less uh, for me personally, but if I tell you about the the
2: research, it's very interesting. You know, instead of um, looking at, if you like, industry verticals, so what might happen in automotive or what might happen in retail, um, we looked at different settings for where, smart industry might be used Um, and one really important setting is cities. So um, in the research, when I told you about the 11 trillion, factories are the biggest, um, contributed to that 11 trillion at about 4 trillion. But then cities are the second biggest. And the examples there can be everything from managing the resources of the cities. So, you know, public resources, whether it be swimming pools or others, through to traffic management, where we can better understand the road usage and therefore increase both the uh, productivity of the workers as well as uh, the road use. Um, And also actually public health and public safety, where, again, cities can really benefit.
0: Uh, Torsten, let me bring you in at this point. So just tell us a bit about what IBM is doing in this area.
3: Well, we as IBM, we we are on the one side provider of solutions in that domain, but we are also a user of that technology. So really a a twofold side. So um, if you look what we do, what do we provide in there? One big element, of course, is software. You need a lot of kind of software solutions to run separate industry for zero kind of things. This is software, which is very much cloud enabled, um, that typical thing. Uh, We run also so-called manufacturing execution systems where you need to run the shop floor on a particular application. That's something that we provide. And of course, Watson is big in manufacturing where we do a lot of things like visual inspection to inspect a particular part where this is good or bad. So um, uh, picture analysis, if you like so. Um, and then, of course, big, big, big these days, security. Uh, nobody really wants that his manufacturing environment has been hacked. So these are typical examples on, on the software side. Um, second to that is services, of course. You, we are helping clients to, to design, to build solutions around that with a classical kind of consulting business. A lot of other companies are working there, of course. Um, but also we run these kind of solutions on behalf of clients. If, if, uh, I mentioned already cloud um, a lot of clients want to run this kind of solutions on the cloud, but there are still a lot of clients who want to run this on premise. So there are different ways to run these kind of solutions on the other side. So this is what we kind of provide. Um, but I said also we are a user. Uh, IBM still has an $8 billion US dollar uh, business in terms of hardware, where we build, design, uh, manufacture, assemble and ship systems, right, uh, big uh, server kind of things. And in there, um, like five years ago, we started a big, big initiative, a transformation program where we deployed very different areas of this kind of industry for zero solutions in our own manufacturing, our own supply chain. And one of the biggest technology enablers we deployed there is, is AI, is Watson, where we help our dispatchers, for example, to make better decisions based on data versus um, what you used to, to do in the past in terms of my gut feeling is part A, part B, might come, might not come. It's all driven out of data. And there we went through a major, major transformation to make benefit out of this technology.
0: When you talk about it in those terms, you think of the incredible efficiency that it can bring, and, and that's the key to all of this, making things more efficient. But, Thorsten, how easy and how accessible is it to businesses to be smarter and, and to take this on?
3: Well, a typical consulting answer, it depends, right? Uh, and I guess Natasha <laughs> would, would raise the, the same comment here. I mean, uh, on, on the one side, it's become much, much easier than maybe 10 years ago because of cloud. Because in in the past, we did great business where people have to buy software and hardware to install the software and then to run these kind of things on their premises. Meanwhile, the majority of these kind of solutions are cloud enabled. So that doesn't require an upfront investment on these kind of things. So it's much faster access to this kind of technology. And not only the big guys can afford that. So you have the probability of of smaller companies being able to use this technology as good as as anybody else. So I think that's much easier access, but it all comes with a price. And that goes back to security, I think, where you need to protect your intellectual property, your designs, your the, the operation of your manufacturing environment. Uh, so it has those kind of two two elements you need to uh, to deal with, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, Natasha? Yeah, I think
2: completely agree um, that on the one hand, it's uh, become more accessible to even the smaller players. Um, and on the other hand, lots of challenges uh are still there. What I would also add is that the sort of uh, technology stack is not the only thing that's required to really make progress and to deliver returns from smart industry. You know, the other things you have to have, and perhaps this is obvious, but first and foremost, you need to know what value you're trying to get out of deploying the smart solutions. So, you know, you've got to have a strategy, you've got to be strategy led. I think then, of course, the technology needs to be there, you need to have interoperability and and so on. But then I think the other element that's very important is, of course, at the end of the day, we still have human beings doing a lot of the work. And in some cases, uh, workers and the workforce will require capability building. And without an investment in that, you don't end up seeing nearly as much of the return as you do if that's really invested into and thought through. So how will the people interact with the new data and with the new insights that the data can bring us in order to truly deliver on the strategy and the improvements?
0: And and, and we'll come back to some of that. But let me just bring Glenn in then on, on the impact of all of this on insurance, because what does smart, you can clearly hear the pros and cons, but what does smart industries mean for insurers, Glenn?
1: I guess at a a very broad level, it's all about really the challenge of understanding uh, the end customer and understanding what support they need from a kind of risk management, risk transfer perspective to to meet those objectives and challenges that they're facing. Because, you know, as as Natasha said, it's not just about tech, there's a broader uh, aspect to uh, what what a business might be going through. And so understanding how their operational models are developing, understanding how uh, the work that their employees are doing, understanding... the the types of uh, cyber issues or cyber resilience that they might need in order to proceed. Um, It could be also understanding things like uh, new contract terms, you know, as you look at this ever integrated supply chains and so on and so forth, uh, businesses might be taking on contractual risk about being able to play their part in that larger game of uh, being an integrated supplier to uh, say a, ma- a bigger manufacturer and so on and so forth. And so all of these different changes in terms of how people use their property, uh, how their employees work, what new risks are, are emerging uh, as a result of uh, of leveraging these technologies are all things that we as an industry need to uh, understand and make sure we're there to provide the appropriate Um, support uh, products and services that can enable uh, these companies to uh, to leverage leverage these advantages uh, but with the security of knowing that there is uh, insurance behind them where appropriate to uh, to support that um, goal.
0: So Glenn then what specifically is Allianz doing?
1: Um, I guess we're looking at it in a few different dimensions really so we've got a a large uh, engineering construction and power uh, business um, and we have uh, for example 700 engineers inspecting three and a half million bits of plant equipment in 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 all sorts of different industries and so uh, understanding the different types of technologies and different types of machinery and uh, etc is something that we're um, looking at you can look at things like preventative maintenance so in an engineering context we provide insurance for machinery breakdown and now we're seeing uh, as an example of some of these technologies the emergence of quite sophisticated preventative maintenance uh, capabilities and so the ability to start thinking about um, different models uh, and then working out how we can support the customer uh, and evaluate the risk better um, is part of what we're doing. I'll give you a concrete example um, at the moment, we're working with a hydroelectric uh, supplier, uh, and we've got some sensors on the turbine that should be able to uh, detect, uh, let's say, an issue with a bearing or what have you, and then be able to um, flag up that there might be some maintenance required. Um, but if we can then combine that information with weather information around when there might not be um, uh, much rain coming, we can then time the maintenance uh, of that uh, turbine uh, to make sure that the uh, output, the energy throughput effectively is uh, damage is minimised. And so we can create win-win-wins out of players that are involved in this by leveraging the data and technology, being more predictive rather than just sorting things out after they've gone wrong, uh, and helping to uh, uh, leverage this data in different ways. So there's something about uh, the the whole world of engineering. We're also looking at things like smart building management and how um, there, there are solutions for better protection for key perils such as escape of water, fire, security, employee safety. And and I guess to a certain extent, we're just working out how to value the improvements that these technologies bring to things we know about already, um, as well as understanding the potential for new services and products uh, that protect against new emerging risk. Uh, But yes, there's a variety of different areas, but it feels like we're at the beginning of this rather than something that's uh, in a mature state, shall we say.
0: Yeah, it feels like at some point I'm never going to have to think again because uh, something smart will be doing it for me. <laughs> and, and Torsten, I guess um, one of the big advantages you must have is, is, at IBM is seeing how smart industries, kind of the, the learning transfers between so many different industries. So I'm guessing you're seeing other industries using smart uh, technology, which could actually really help insurance as well. So what are your thoughts on on how insurance could benefit? Uh,
3: yes, indeed. That is a topic. And, and I think maybe that brings us also to, to, to something which we call like the ecosystem in there, right? Because uh, if you really look in this industry for zero IoT domain kind of thing, ecosystem shaping is one of the key things here, and and not a single company can do it them, them themselves, right? So I, I see that those kind of kind of um, in, um, industries also converge more and more to really run an end-to-end industry for zero scenario, if you like. So I mean, best example. Our global headquarter on on Watson is in Munich, and uh, next to all the manufacturing companies we have in there, there's also an insurance lab. So insurance has a very valid kind of role in there, in this ecosystem, and it's one of the key shapers how this is going to run in the future, because at the end of the day, I think that the big topic is really how can that be used to kind of drive new business models, right? How to make new, find new sources of revenue with these kind of technologies, Um, and, the buzzword is their product as a service right uh, people do not want to pay maybe in the long run for their car as they as they they buy it they want to kind of pay by use if you like so and these kind of approaches in terms of business models have been deployed heavily on those uh, other say older industries if you like so and the more you go towards that direction the more is the need of a uh, of an insurance company like Allianz to kind of govern this overall thing and um, address the risk associated with that. So that, that I think is a, it's a big open door uh, to drive this new business models, to shape these ecosystems and to, to find new sources of value.
0: Yeah, and, and Glenn, I imagine then it's pretty key that you guys are looking at what other industries are doing for that cross-sector learning.
3: Absolutely.
1: I, I think it's also, you know, thinking about that ecosystem part is about also who we should be working with to work out great solutions for the end customer. So in, in various different vertical domains, um, there are all sorts of different solutions being deployed. And so well, like we're working with um, some large telco companies that are deploying solutions into end customers and then really understanding what solutions are being uh, deployed and then thinking about how we could also uh, augment that initial uh, deployment with uh, risk management solutions and so on and so forth. Forth on, on top of that, so that the end customer gets to monetize that capital investment in the new technology. Um, And is able to then get uh, ancillary benefits around that, uh, which then makes it a much more uh, attractive proposition for kind of one and all. I'll give you an example, Um, you know, that the age of uh, video analytics now is such that, you know, for example, you could have in a industrial environment, fairly dumb cameras, just normal kind of normal cameras that are observing a a workplace and then have uh, the capability to be able to identify automatically whether people are wearing the correct uh, personal protective equipment or not you <laughs> and so you can imagine there um, that there is something about uh, how you are the the end customer is able to evidence that they are um, uh, creating a more secure and safe environment for their employees and it creates data and information about the behaviour of that business that allows us to understand that that business is working in perhaps a safer way than perhaps another one Um, and so there's some really exciting opportunities for us to work out.
0: Yeah I mean when you give examples it makes it so tangible doesn't it because then you go oh yeah that would be really helpful that would make a difference Um, and I imagine that there's just constant ideas uh, like that coming to you Uh, Torsten let me talk to you just can you give us a bit more then on on that question about the implications for both big and small businesses what what do you think the implications are are they all good
3: well the chances and opportunities I think are much bigger than the threats around that right I mean in in the past the situation would have been uh, any company whatever below like five billion revenue they are second to third using these kind of technologies. That was the the old days. Meanwhile, startups are using the technologies and overtaking established companies. Right, so it's not it's a typical thing about the uh, the the smartest and the fastest overtake the the, the rest. There um, uh, on the other side, there are still a lot of challenges around there. In particular, if you look around standardization, right? Uh, There are companies saying uh, without the standardization being resolved and all these IP protocols in there, I don't do anything. So these are really the slow movers, but the fast movers are overtaking them, accepting those challenges, but still kind of proceed and make the experience. Um, There is not one recipe. I think everybody needs to find their their own, own environment. And and need to cope uh, with these challenges.
0: Um, Glenn, can we just talk a bit about then um, what insurance products may be needed as a result of smart industries?
1: I mean, you've got a suite of core insurance products now that will that will need to adapt over time. Um, that cover all this kind of standard perils. So I guess where we're seeing the potential for um, new products is that I, th- I think you can gather from everything that we talked about today that you know data and the flow of information, kind of, uh, and the uh, interconnectedness of systems, not just within a business, but with systems outside of your own, um, do, do create a whole range of different um, cyber risks um, that people will be very conscious of. So there's something about how our cyber cover can be developed uh, in order to, uh, to protect that. Um, it might be also that we need to uh, think about new forms of, of risk protection. Um, in terms of people uh, or companies starting to understand which elements of this new risk they want to take onto their own balance sheet, what do they want to transfer, what do they want to mitigate um, and control in you know, through different dimensions.
0: Torsten, can I ask you your thoughts on the security aspect of this um, in terms of you know, cyber security and what are your thoughts on the security of smart industries?
3: Well, it became, I think, a very hot topic the last two, or two or three years, actually. I mean, we we all know the the situations of these big cyber threats on the regular IT security, if you like so. So the big bad stories out there are that big companies have been hacked in their classical IT system. Um, if you imagine being hacked now in your manufacturing environment, it's even worse, I guess, right? If, uh, if if you get access to whatever the uh, the drawings of your Volkswagen in there, or if somebody else can get in your manufacturing line and stops you, Robert, it's 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 a huge nightmare, and that's one of the big obstacles also. In, next to this data ownership, how can I secure that um, my the access to my environment is, is so secure that really nobody from the outside is is, a, is, is able really to to hack in. So this is this is called now OT security, operations technology security, versus the classical IT security. Even though the the the, the methodologies and and the the technologies is somewhat similar, it it is a big deployment in this on the manufacturing floor environment, if you like.
0: Yeah, uh, Natasha,
2: cyber risk is very uh, very scary uh, to all of us you know we have to hope that as the uh, industry 4.0 and all the technology around it develops so will our ability to provide um, both software and hardware protection uh, against cyber risk but if we don't uh, find that that develops at speed then that would be one of the reasons why you could see a a less um, big impact from industry 4.0 than you would otherwise do right because of course a lot of the estimates as you project into the future and you try to do scenarios depend on consumer adoption and depend on business or worker adoption of these technologies. Um, and of course, uh, you know, as we know, if we see some of the big risks materialise, that'll take longer than if we're, made, we're able to not see them materialise because we've put um, the sorts of examples in place that Glenn's highlighted to mitigate
0: the risk. And as you say, Glenn, as well, you know, you've talked about how the industry can prepare. But what do you think brokers need to know now um, and, and I suppose in the future as
1: well? I think the key thing is, is that, you know, uh, uh, the brokers are the, the kind of eyes and ears almost of the insurance industry in really understanding what is going on uh, in the uh, in the end businesses, uh, uh, operational models and so on and so forth. And so I. Um, we, you know, we need the brokers to really be listening to their clients and understanding what changes they are making to their business, um, what new risks they feel they are taking on. And and whether they feel that they um, that the the products and services that the industry is providing um, are 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 giving them the confidence to um, uh, to proceed. Uh, and so I guess that's really what we're looking for is is that we get um, you know and, and this is this is the same for insurers as well as brokers as an industry as a whole. We've got to make sure that we are uh, abreast of what's going on um, within uh, the broader industri- industrial verticals. Really understand those changes uh, and how it's making people think about their business and then making sure um, that we are adapting accordingly so it's very much a listening process and when we talk about this being a revolution but this is not an overnight revolution you know just like the previous industrial revolutions that went on for decades um, this one's likely to take some time to mature and, um, and it will take a while for all parties to really understand that evolving circumstance so it's absolutely critical that brokers are the, the eyes and ears that are listening to the end customers and really um, capturing uh, how their mindset is changing as they embark on this uh, journey.
0: Thank you so much uh, for all of your uh, wise words on all of this. Uh, many thanks to our guests Glenn Clark from Allianz, Torsten Schropp from IBM, Natasha Stern from McKinsey and Company. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through your usual podcast provider uh, it means you won't miss an episode and you can go back and listen to ones, uh, others as well plus we'd love it if you could leave a review because that makes it easier for, for other people to find out about it so thank you very much for me and uh, thanks to everyone for listening thank you